Welcome to episode 16 of the Welding Codex. This is a podcast for those who want to learn more about the technical side of welding. Welding codes, heat treatment, welding defects, metallurgy, and all the really thrilling material that your high school welding instructor didn't have time to cover. In this episode, welding engineers and CWIs Peter Kinney and Gary Pace finish up their overview of AWS D1.1 structural welding code steel. This episode covers clause 6, part F, ultrasonic testing of groove welds, part G, other examination methods, and the tables at the end of the chapter. Anyhow, thanks for joining us. Note, Pete and Gary bounce back and forth between code editions 2015 and 2020 during the course of this episode. So we will apologize beforehand if things get a little out of control. Before we get going, time for the advertisements. If you're on a budget and are looking for an affordable online training course for the AWS Certified Welding Inspector exam, visit train-eng.com and check out the online courses for Part A, General Knowledge, and Part B, the Hands-On Inspection. Train-eng-eng.com also has some buffet-style options on the CWI review course. If you only want to take part of the online course, that's an option. If you just want to study NDE or you just want to touch on metallurgy or the metric system, we've got options. There is also a CWI question bonanza with only practice questions. If you like what we are doing here, feel free to make a PayPal donation to my website, texasweldingengineering.com. Also, check out my YouTube channel. There's a lot of material posted over there that isn't here. I started on that one a lot earlier, four or five years ago. So, anyways, the views and thoughts and opinions expressed in the Welding Codex by Peter Kinney are his personal opinions and do not reflect the official policy or positions of the American Welding Society or AWS D1 Point Structural Steel Committee. Any comments provided by our hosts in this podcast are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religious, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. The opinions are just the host's opinions on how AWS functions. All that being said, let's dive into Clause 6. Now we're moving out of uh, radiographic to ultrasonic testing. This is Part F of Groove Welds. So as was before, this sets up our procedures and standards that we got to use. One thing to note that this is based for materials from 5 sixteenths to 8 inches thick. If you're, if you're outside of that, you got to go to Annex Q. So if you have quarter-inch welds, unfortunately, either you got to go to Annex Q or do something different like RT. That's... I mean, you could easily develop procedures for it, but you can't do them by Part F. And it also has it here, for these Part F, you cannot use them for testing tube-to-tube uh, -tube TY and K connections. That's, uh, that's one thing to note, because this will lead you astray really fast and make you reject a lot of things, because TYK connections are a completely different animal than, uh, than this Part F is prepared to deal with. Well, and it gets into having a base understanding of your different non-destructive testing methods. And, you know, the, they've all got their Achilles heels or their weaknesses. And it's understanding that you can't use 
you know, ultrasonic testing in every situation, or you can't use radiography in every situation. You know, if you try and use ultrasonic testing on, you know, the really thin materials, you're going to have sound waves bouncing all over, and you can develop techniques for it, but it's just going to get, it, it's just not a cookie cutter type situation. So that's something that you need to understand, and that's why the code has made provisions that send you off to Annex Q. And if you get to thicker than eight inches, you're just, and this is my worldview of ultrasonic testing, but you're just pumping so much sound in there to try and get it to penetrate in that you're not going to have any type of sensitivity trying to read a defect in there on 10 or 15 inch thick piece of material because you're just pounding so much sound in there that yeah you might find something but you don't have any sensitivity or clarity on whether it's a you know an actual defect or um, just kind of some kind of false discontinuity so that's kind of why they put the upper the upper limits at eight inches just due to the fact that it just takes so much sound energy to try and find anything in a, a weld or a part that's that deep so we have um, it also allows other variations and that is discussed in annex o and h in the 2020 um, i'm not sure which uh, which annexes are those in the 2015 there gary um 619.2 just gives us annex q when uh 8192 variations in the 2020 it's annex annex q is now annex o and i might have uh, misstated that earlier o's and q's kind of look the same but it's annex o in the in the 2020 so you have um o and annex o and annex h specify alternative ultrasonic techniques for performing conventional ut and phased array examination of welds so if you have other variations in testing procedures or acceptance standards that are not in part f we need to get approval of the engineer so if if we're doing something different that is not in part f that even even if we're taking it from annex o or h in the 2020 code we need to have approval by the engineer so as uh, gary would say that's the one of the superpowers and i would say if you are the engineer you need to either familiarize yourself with these other annexes or hire a consultant that knows how to understand when procedures drift into these other other annexes, are they acceptable or not to perform? Well, and if we look at the variations on the on 2015, there's some stuff written in here. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you know, such variations include other thicknesses, weld geometries, transducer sizes, frequencies, couplant, painted surfaces, testing techniques, etc. Such approved variations shall be recorded in the contract record. So, and it gets back to with ultrasonic testing, there's a hell of a lot of variables, you know, and like Pete's saying, if you don't understand it, hire yourself a reputable consultant that can help walk you through it and get you some guidance. Because like it's saying, you know, variations, thickness, weld geometries, um, transducers, there's all kinds of different variables that can trip you up and give you problems and issues with ultrasonic testing if you don't know what you're doing. So. That's right. So here, the the next one we're talking about, piping porosity. And it's recommending RT to supplement UT for electro slag and electro gas welds. That's because UT can't always find uh, porosity as well as, as RT can. 
the the shape makes it a little more difficult for for the sound to, to catch it and for and this this is the same in both codes here is bass metals there wasn't this wasn't really developed as a pure bass metal kind of inspection methodology so if you just have a piece of plate out there that you want to go inspect it would be a little difficult to say oh just go inspect it per d11 there's ways to deal with that but it needs to be uh, dealt with with the engineer. Well, and it gets back to the the weaknesses of different NDE methods. You know, certain NDE methods can find certain weld defects and discontinuities rather easily, and then uh, there's other types of discontinuities that that process is, you know, more or less blind to. So it's understanding what the capabilities of your NDE method are, and then what are you looking for? What am I trying to find? You know, what what needle in the haystack am I trying to find with this process? And is it even a realistic expectation to be able to find that specific defect with this weld or this non-destructive testing process? So that's what it gets back to. So that's that's what's here in 619.4 under base metal. Yeah. All right. Just for the sake of kind of moving through this, um, we're going to skip through a lot of the ultrasonic, I know people were probably thinking, oh man, this is going to be the best part of this show. These guys are going to spend two hours talking about ultrasonics and the nitty gritty. We might come back to it, but there's just a lot of material in there that unless you're just a hardcore ultrasonic testing junkie that we're not going to cover. And we'll try and get it in a later episode when we talk about ultrasonic testing and maybe hit on some NDE, but right now we're going to fast forward into part G, other examination methods. So 632 general requirements. This part contains NDE methods not addressed in parts D, E, or F of clause 6 or clause 9 part F for tubulars for this code. The NDE method set forth in part G may be used as an alternative to the methods outlined in part D, E, or F of clause six or part nine, providing procedures, qualification criteria, procedures, and personnel and acceptance criteria are documented in writing and approved by the engineer. Gets back to writing things down, people acting like grownups and getting the engineer to approve it. So what do we got under here, Pete, for alternative or other examination methods? So this is for examination methods that don't fit for whatever reason in the other ones we've discussed. And these all have to be approved by the engineer. So the first one we got, it's either 633 or 833 radiation imaging systems. This is for systems beyond what we discussed for in the digital world. This could be real time. This could be some kind of variation of it. There's a way for, for it to deal with it. And here we have 831 procedures. Basically, it requires a bunch of the, the, the list out what we got to do or what is required to make it happen. Uh, that, that's all required there. Moving on to 834, uh, advanced ultrasonic systems. This is where we have like our, our TOFT or time of flight, where we have multiple channels. When I use doing subsea pipelines, if we were applying D11 in some crazy fashion, we would have been in advanced ultrasonics. The The whole scan around, let's say, a 12-inch pipe was minutes in time because we had several channels, multiple probes, and 
it made it for a very fast inspection while it was while we were at the spool base. That would basically be these kind of systems right here going into there. And basically, just like it had for the radiation imaging systems, the same thought process of all these different kind of things you need to have in your procedure. Well, oh, go well ahead, I was going to say with, with like radiation imaging systems and advanced ultrasonic systems, a lot of this has to do with, okay, so we had 2015 and then we're going to go to 2020. So there might be five years in there where we don't know what, how fast these systems are going to advance or, you know, there might be a, you know, come to 2019, there's a completely new method of using ultrasonic testing that when the code was written and printed in 2015 well there's a lot of work between 2010 and 2015 that goes through that goes to this and maybe a lot of these imaging systems aren't completely out of the beta phase or whatever well then before the next code cycle can catch up to these advances in this well, this kind of gives you a loophole that says, okay, so if there's if there's somebody out there that comes up with a new and better ultrasonic system and better way to scan these pipes or do some ultrasonic imaging or whatever, this is what you got to follow. These are the things that you got to follow to get a, to fit into our little system of reporting. So that's kind of what this is. This is and this is my interpretation, but this is the code's way of saying, okay, we realize there's going to be advances and that non-destructive testing isn't at a static level, and there's going to be new technologies that make things faster. But we just haven't seen them all, and we're just not going to approve them carte blanche. But the engineer can, or if you look at it, and he's got a really solid view of it and put some homework time and reading and catching up on this and really has a solid understanding, then you can use it. But this is what you have to do to be able to use something that, you know, isn't the old tried and true ultrasonic methods or, you know, shooting an x-ray. That's my take. Rant for the day. Exactly. I agree. So we've got a, the next one is 835 or 635. Here is procedure qualifications uh, to prove out what you need to, you need to do. And one of the things in here is it has to be approved by an ASNT level three. That's a, uh, that's a good note to follow there. And then it goes through personal, uh, qualifications one is it has that the level three has to have a minimum of six months experience using the same or similar equi uh, equipment for examination of welds or piping and piping metallic materials so this the caveat i would say there is if you're using an outside level three make sure they meet that requirement for some reason maybe they don't as you have to be just just be careful on that and dot your eyes and uh cross your t's uh, for ones and twos, you have to have three months' experience using it. That's uh, not as uh, as as difficult to get as that six months. The, and where both of these could really come to bite someone is if if you're making some product to D11 and you're you're more of a manufacturer than like a job shop, and you have some sort of automated inspection technique, whether it be RT or UT, and all of a sudden you buy this this kit of equipment to increase your throughput of inspection make sure that you can meet the requirements for it and this might have to uh, entail a lot of support from the vendor or the the company that made the equipment and doing some uh, training of of your employees there 
that was that's just my word of caution on that one. And then we've got 635.3, uh, which is image enhancement. You know, computer enhancement of recorded images shall be acceptable for improving the recorded image and obtaining additional information. Sensitivity and accuracy of characterizing discontinuities are maintained. Computer enhanced images shall be clearly marked that enhancement was used and enhancement procedures identify. So if you're going to go through and blow something up, you got to tell them, hey, I blew it up and this is how I did it. Um, exactly. And, and where this is, gets used at is, is it borderline rejectable or is it borderline acceptable? With, with a lot of technology now, what we would be trying to measure with uh, maybe a pair of calipers or a steel rule and trying to use a magnifying glass and hold your tongue at a certain angle while squinting. Uh, life's been made easier where you can draw a box around an item and all of a sudden it's 20 times bigger, crystal clear, and you can take a measurement. So if you do that, basically record the, uh, the larger view that you made or the blow up of it it's calling it the enhancement record basically what you did how did you come what did you do and how did you get to where you made the decision uh the next item is records basically as before we you know, identify stuff keep our records equipment used where the weld was i don't really think there's too much uh new that wasn't there before all right well that wraps that up now we'll dive into the tables we're not gonna go through every table but we're going to hit the, the highlights of the tables. If you look in Clause 6 um, on the list of tables and figures, it's a healthy one because, well, it covers inspection and you've got a lot of different um, NDE processes that are covered and different configurations and whatnot. So anyways, run with Table 6-1, Pete. I know All you've right, just take- been waiting weeks to get to this all i've heard pete saying is let's get to table six one well here you go pete it's your shot run with it buddy all right so table six one or eight one so like as as we've harped on many times before the only mandated inspection method is visual and this is the table it goes to so the first one is cracks or i guess we should go through how this table set up on the left hand side we have the discontinuity care category and inspection criteria then the next two columns one is statically loaded non-tubular the other one is cyclically loaded tubular connections there's a a mirror image of this in uh, clause 10 so the first one is crack prohibition we can't have cracks regardless of size or location so that's little x's mean just like weld base metal fusion okay you got to have fusion to each layer from a visual perspective, you don't have, unless you have your X-ray glasses out of your Cheerios box, you can't see between inside the weld. But this is where you could have you ran over some slag that wasn't removed, and all of a sudden you can just see a little little chunk of slag sticking out or something like that. You're kind of not having your fusion there. Crater cross section they have to be filled to the weld size, except for intermittent fillet welds. That are outside their effective length. So if you're supposed to be making three inch long intermittent fillet welds and your crater is half an inch outside of that or a quarter inch, and the, the total length is like three and a half inches, you don't need to fill that crater. Other welds, you have to fill the crater up. While I'm not 100% sure, but my thought process is 
The reason that you don't have to do it on intermittent fillet welds is if you're making intermittent fillet welds, the part doesn't have a whole lot of stress on it anyway. Weld profiles. So here he says you have to have the weld profiles in conformance with 7.3 or 7.2.3 or 6.2.3. And then we'll cover those in a little bit, but those are those basically those little uh, pictures of the different kinds of uh, groove welds or fillet welds and what they're uh, hypothetically supposed to look like. Time of inspection. We can uh, do the do welds and all steels immediately after cool to ambient temperature, except for a couple of them, which are ASTM I-514, 7517, and HPS 70W, or excuse me, 100W. Those we have to wait 48 hours. Now, I know I think we covered this. I'm not sure if it was the last podcast or it was when we did uh, fabrication there, Gary. But why do we have to worry about those steels? Because you can have hydrogen cracking issues with them. They're a, they're a quenched and tempered material, and they're just prone to the phenomenon of hydro, delayed hydrogen cracking in them. So that's why we've, we, they tell you to pump the brakes and come back after two days, 48 hours, and then you can, then you can buy off the welds. All right. The next one, number six, is uh, undersized welds. So this is uh, how much can we undersize a fillet weld? Here it's a going by the nominal size without correction by the following amounts. So you have within this table, it's like a little a little smaller table. So you have L, which is a specified nominal well size, and let's say the first one's just three sixteenths, and we're allowed to decrease from that by a sixteenth of an inch, and then a quarter, three thirty-two, five sixteenths, an eighth. But when we're only allowed to do that, if you got to keep reading, though, that's one thing that you always got to remember on this code is don't just stop till you find the words you like. You got to read the whole thing. We can't exceed 10% of the weld length. So, so Gary, in uh, in this example right here, if if I had a 10-foot weld that was supposed to be a quarter inch, how long can I have it be below size? Can I have two feet that's uh, below within a, a three thirty seconds uh, too small? No, because you could have a you could have a foot because it's ten feet long, and then in all cases the underside portion undersized portion of the weld shall not exceed ten percent of the weld length. That's right. So, so it's giving you ten percent, and they do the code realizes the people writing the code realize that you're not going to be able to get perfection on these welds. I mean that's what we're sh- shooting for, but they realize that they're you might not hit just spot on every time so they've got an allowance in there that says all right so you got you know a 10 foot long weld and you got six inches of it it's just slightly under is it the end of the world no we don't need to go back and fix that we'll we'll give you we'll give you a little mulligan on that you can you cannot have to fix that but if you get over that 10 percent no you got to go back and fix this and get it right so well well stated there gary and another thing to remember is it's 10 percent of the weld length so in in our example of 10 feet and you're allowed to have one foot that's a little undersized it doesn't need to be in one full length of a foot it could be three inches here three inches there four inches over there so it's it's of the the total weld length it could be split up a little now there's, there's one part also to continue to add on, and this is a unique situation. On web the flange welds on girders, the underrun, which is the allowed decrease, shall be prohibited on the ends of a length equal to twice the width of the flange. 
So what this is basically saying is when you're at the ends of the girders, you have to you can't have where your 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 weld runs small there for twice the width of the flange. And I believe, and I'm not 100% sure, but I believe the thought process is there is the last thing you want to have at the girder where at the end of the girder where you might have a concentration of stresses, it starts to unzip there. I believe that is the thought process on why you have to, you, you're not allowed to be uh, too small at the end. But I don't have anything to back that up. Thoughts from on a, that, Gary? No, and from a common sense standpoint, and I guess just as an engineer standpoint, I could see how that might be the, the propagation point from which bad things happen. Whereas, you know, if you have the, the undersized portions in the middle it's probably not going to unzip but if you get it started at a at an end like you say the end of a girder then it just is probably going to run for the length of that thing so i can understand that so you probably want to make sure and this is telling you you know at the start and the finish of your your welds you want to make sure that the those are like just put in in an immaculate state. You want to make sure that you really did a good job on that end. Not that you shouldn't do a good job everywhere, but if there is a place where you want your best work, that would be it. Exactly. Uh, moving on to number seven, uh, we have undercut. And this one, uh, this one, if you look at it, you'll see it split. So you have undercut that is applicable only for statically loaded, and you have undercut that that is for cyclically loaded. So for the statically loaded, for material less than an inch, we cannot exceed 30 seconds with the following exceptions. Undercut cannot exceed a 16th of an inch for any accumulated length up to 2 inches in any 12 inches of length. For material equal to or greater than 1 inch thick, undercut shall not exceed a 16th for any length of well. A 16th. So good or bad, depending on which way you feel about it. Some people look at it as a get out of jail free card. They can have a sixteenth inch undercut the whole length of the weld, but you got a one inch thick plate. While if you're underneath one inch, you're you're limited to a six to a thirty seconds in any accumulated length up to two inches in a twelve. So where this two and twelve, you could take and you could break your weld up into twelve uh, twelve inch long uh, segments, and basically make sure that you don't have anything. Uh, over two inches of undercut in in your in that length of uh, material. What the code is silent on is how do you break up that 12 inches? Um, I have seen people argue, well, that's part of this 12 inches and that's part of that other 12 inches. It's like, well, the way I look at it, this is this is Peter Kennedy's opinion, is if I can put a foot long ruler in there and it covers both of them. That's within the 12 inches. So this is a point of contention that some people will fight that it's they'll just lay a tape measure out and say every foot belongs in that foot. It's uh, I, I don't agree with that kind of thought process there. Going on to B and for primary members. So this is a note for engineers when you're designing structures and drawings. If you have a primary member, you you need to designate what the primary member is. I think we covered this also uh, previously in fabrication or maybe design, Gary. I don't remember. But I, I would not expect your fabricator or contractor, even though maybe it should be blatantly obvious of what the primary member is, I, I would always label it so no one can feign stupidity. Uh, 
of what the primary member is, but its undercut should be no more than 0.01 inches deep. So that's not a whole lot, is it there, Gary? No, that's not a very, uh, very deep, uh, that's not very deep at all. No, and I, if I was going to chime in with the 132nd. That's like catching your fingernail on it. If it's deep enough to catch your fingernail on it, that's a 32nd of an inch. But yeah, you get to 0 0.01, that's a hundredth of an inch. That's not very damn deep at all. So Exactly. And this is when the weld is transverse to tensile stresses from any design loading. And then you're allowed a, a 30 seconds uh, in all other cases. But the reason they do this is undercut is a fantastic way for things to grow. It's an initiation point. And when it's transverse to the tensile stress, the, the easiest way to kind of look at that is if you got a bridge gird, you walk up, you take a grinder, you run it across the flange from one side of the flange to the other, that is transverse. That's the an easy way I, I explain that to folks whenever they're like, well, I don't understand what that is. Then uh, it usually makes sense. So there's a, a big difference in between those. So you may need to, as a fabricator, uh, maybe employ a little more preheat or a little more cleaning to make sure your toes are nice and wetted out to prevent having having this undercut issue and, and not be fighting it and doing well pick up every three feet down uh, the length of whatever you're building. Porosity is another one that's actually broken into three separate uh, rows. The first one is only for statically loaded. The other two are for dynamic. The first part is butt joints uh, transverse to the direction of computed tensile stress shall have no visible piping porosity. So similar to our previous example, we don't want to have piping porosity. The, the issue with it is in a pure visual inspection scenario, we don't know how big it is underneath. That's, so that's why we're, we're limiting it. That's, in a, that's Peter Kenny's thought process on that. For other groove welds and in fillet welds, the sum of the visible pop, piping porosity, a 30 seconds or greater in diameter shall not exceed 3 eighths in any linear inch of weld. And shall exceed three quarters and a 12 inches of length of weld. So this is also going back to you can't just be cherry picking where your 12 inches stops and starts. To me, is if it's within 12 inches of each other, it's the same thing. One uh, issue that is kind of in the in the works is what do you do with welds that are shorter than 12 inches? And this will apply farther on down for B and C. And that could be a pretty sticky thing on what you do. And currently, the code does not really address that well. Like in a short weld, are you allowed less? Are you still allowed this full gamut? Uh, it is is currently silent on it. Uh, that, that is true for both the 2015 and the 2020 code. Moving to the next one is, this is a sickly loaded uh, Accept this criteria. The frequency of piping porosity in fillet welds should not exceed one in four inches of weld length, and the maximum diameter shall not exceed 330 seconds. And then you have ex exceptions for this are for stiffeners to a web. You're allowed a little bit more uh, on that. I, I believe, and I'm not 100% sure, but I believe the, the rationale there is the stiffener to web uh, connection is not as highly loaded. As, as others are. And then moving to C, which is the last one, CJP groove welds and, 
in boat welds traverse to the direction of computer tensile stress shall have no piping porosity. So in our, our previous example, we were allowed some piping porosity in a statically loaded. Here, we're not allowed any. That's a, that's a big difference. And then for all of the groove welds, the, the frequency of piping porosity shall exceed one in four, and it has a maximum diameter of 330 seconds. That's because those welds aren't loaded as, loaded as heavily. But the, the big takeaway from this whole thing, Gary, the way I kind of look at it is figure out what you're looking for or what, what you have found, and then which column do you go to? Because if you all of a sudden start grading statically loaded tubular or non-tubular connections to a sickly loaded tubular connection, you're going to reject things that were, that were acceptable. Do you have any other uh, words of wisdom for our table 6-1 or 8-1? No, I don't have anything to add for 6-1 or 8-1. We pretty much beat that one to a, to a bloody pulp. But i just say is read. You got to read through these things and read through them carefully because there could be one word in there that flips the whole meaning of a sentence. So it's just having, you know, the ability to really read through these and understand them. There's words like and or but or nor or shall that can really flip the narrative on what you thought you were reading to what you think you read or what the other guy's reading or so yeah, there's a lot of times that you'll you'll read this and then reread it and then oh God, I I've been reading this all wrong. So it's just having a good comprehension and you know read don't just read it once, read it four or five times and make sure you really know what you're talking about. So that's I, I, all I've got to throw in there on that one. I, I agree. And sometimes reading aloud, even though however hokey that sounds, sometimes reading it aloud really helps on uh, making sure you grasp every word. Especially like the the but the shall the 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 so the next table and uh, some of these other tables we're gonna go through a little a little bit faster because they're they're not tables that we can really as well talk about because they're more of something you read and apply to the, your situation. So the the big thing I want to hit on these is make sure you're using the right table for your application. So. Table 6-2 or Table 8-2, this is UT acceptance uh, rejection criteria for statically loaded non-tubular connections and cyclically loaded non-tubular connections and compression. Okay, so make sure you fit into those. Your connection is one of those types. The next one is 8-3, which is also accept, UT acceptance rejection criteria. But this is for cyclically loaded non-tubular connections and tension. If you all of a sudden, you, if you have your non, uh, your statically loaded connection and you all of a sudden start grading what should be 8.2 to 8.3, you're going to reject things that should have been acceptable. And then on the flip side, if you're in tension and you really should be using and you're accidentally using 8.2, you could be accepting things that should be rejectable. So make sure you're using the right table for your work. Table 8.4 uh, or 6.4, this is your... Uh, your pennies for your whole type uh, IQI requirements. So this basically you have a column for thickness material and then what what size IQI should you be using and what the essential hole is. Pretty self-explanatory table. This is something you'd find in your uh, RT procedure. What I was going to say is, you know, your penny is called, it's a penetrometer. I don't know if I pronounce that right, but it's got these little holes in it. And there's a 2T hole and a 4T hole and sometimes a 1T hole. But anyways, you put this on your 
film and then when you shoot your x-ray you go over and look at this and it's off on the side of your or, or your radiograph and it's going to tell you if you can see the the 2t hole so if you can see that 2t hole it tells you hey man this is a crystal clear image or if you just hit it with way too much radiation and it was way too long and you just burned that radiograph to a piece of crispy chicken you might not get any of the essential holes so that's what this is telling us without getting too much off into the weeds of you know the the basics of radiography but that's what the IQI the image quality quality indicator is telling you it's just it's telling you whether you got a crystal clear picture or if it's just a blob like those old Bigfoot pictures that you'd see with the Bigfoot supposedly walking through the trees and there's no clarity to it or whatever same with radiographs are we looking at a crystal clear picture or are we looking at you know pictures taken by the amateur photographer of the UFOs or the Bigfoot and it's just a blurry picture it could be UFOs or it could be swamp gas so that's what this is telling us. Yeah, we're looking for Nessie. So the same thing with IQIs, with the wire type, which is the next table, 8565. Table 86 or 66, this is placement of the of your penetrometers. of your, And it's, yeah, you're going by thickness and then where, where, or if you're having, well, excuse me, it goes by thickness and it also goes by length. So if you're dealing with equals, and you have less than 10 inches or greater than 10 inches or you have unequal thicknesses with both the two length ones, it'll tell you how many you have to put and how you select them and what table from the, the different ASTMs. This is, like I said, this should all be in your procedure. Now we're going to table 8-7. And I really want to go into this table when we do our, our dive on UT. But I think a lot of people wouldn't really. They'd kind of gloss over this. What I really want to say about this is know what the type of joint you have that you're inspecting. Know your face A, your face B, face C. Understand that. Understand your thicknesses. And you, you basically you follow over your joint. You find your different – you find a number, which then correlates to how you and where you put your ultrasonic pro, uh, probe. But I want to go into this and do much de much farther detail uh, on a on another podcast because I think a lot of people will be interested in that that are gun ho for uh, UT testing. Table eight seven spans actually two pages because you have your procedure legend that'll tell you all your different angles where you're using for your top quarter, your middle half, and your bottom quarter. So these two things, like I said, this kind of stuff needs to be in your procedure. Uh, moving over to 8.8, this is for your UT equipment and calibration uh, qualification. If if it was Peter Kenny's inspection company, I would really look at making this as some sort of checklist that you go through whenever you're uh, doing your doing your work there. And here it has it where he walks through all the different places and it gives you your code clause to go to and a frequency for it. And note, some of these are could be pretty short, like two hours. So note to self on that one. Now we're moving on to figures 81, 82, and 83. Make sure you know what you're inspecting because these tables are, are different. Uh, figure 81 is discontinuity acceptance criteria for statically loaded, non-tubular, and statically or cyclically loaded tubular connection. Make sure you know that your part fits with inside this uh, these two uh, 
these, these figures here for 8-1. And figure 8-1 continues on to the next page where we have some discontinuities drawn in here and we have limitations for where these discontinuities live and sizes. We have, a, we have several cases. We have uh, three cases here for, for uh, discontinuities for different, for different welds on where, where the indication is found at. Because an indication close to the surface or close to each other, uh, you start to have some more interactions or it's more likely to grow than an indication smack dab in the middle where the stresses on it are much lower. That's part of the thought process. We actually have a fourth one. Uh, I forgot I had a free edge for CJP groove welds. Same thought process. Like I said, this was for statically loaded, non-tubular, statically loaded, or sickly loaded non-tubular connections. 8.2 is acceptance criteria for sickly loaded non-tubular connections in tension. So now we've added uh, that on there. And it, like the other ones, also has different cases for where the discontinuity is located within the joint. has all the same one through four. Figure 8.3 is also acceptance criteria for cyclically loaded non-tubular connections and compression. So as we've stated many times before, when you're in compression, cracks are less likely to grow or indications are less likely to grow in the cracks. But we have all the same, uh, just as we had in the other ones, we have... Um, discontinuity locations within uh, within the weld and their their allowance. Uh, this one's a little different because we actually have uh, a case five as as well. So that's uh, one thing that's a little different. Figure eight four is what we keep saying about a penny. Uh, it's not something you can get penny candy with, but it's our uh, it's a whole type IQI. It basically it has the Dimensions correlating to the different sizes. What 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 is the size and the and the thickness and diameter tolerances? Uh, this is, I believe, is straight out of uh, the ASTM standard. Figure eight five, same, but now we're doing with a wire uh, IQI eight six and uh, eight seven or six six and six figure six six and figure six seven. This is where we place these on the on the weld joint. So we have a diagram that basically shows us how uh, how and where pennies go, where the names of things can occur. And if I had a procedure, I'd basically have something very similar to this too for different that my radiographers would run into. Eight, 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 nine, same thing, but these are where we have transitions from a thick to a thin. Walks us through how to deal with them. Figure eight, ten is as we spoke about before. We cut our runoff tabs off. We clean it all up with a grinder, make it nice and pretty. And then we put edge blocks on to perform uh, perform our inspection. And this kind of basically shows you how that all works. The next one we go to is 812. For This is where we're using our reference block, our IIW. Uh, this is showing us how, how we place our probe to, uh, to to look at it. 813 is our basic uh, typical IIW block. I believe uh, this is also referred to as like an Air Force block or there was another name for this as well. But this shows us all the different uh, dimensions of, of it. Well, and this, for those of you that are not experts on this or just kind of, you know, the casual listener or whatever, I don't know if we have casual listeners, but whatever. Um, 
this is just these blocks are used to calibrate and get your instrument your ultrasonic instrument dialed in so that you can find a certain size hole or you can find you know reflective surfaces or whatever so some point somebody went through and put all these holes in there and notches and grooves and curves and whatever so that you can get your UT machine dialed in and your screen so that you can see okay I'm seeing this sized hole you know there's an an 060 hole okay I can see that 060 hole every time I pass over it it's showing up or I'm finding a certain notch at a certain depth so that's why they have these is so that you have a a reference block something that you can tell it's a known quantity I've got a hole at this depth in in this type of material at this angle okay I can find that every time it's showing up all right I'm good to go I can go out and do an inspection with a really good degree of certainty and confidence that I'm gonna find defects of this size at this depth at this location that's all those are doing that's right And figure eight four is a different type of block but it's this is also for its distance and sensitivity reference block. Kind of looks like the letter U. Now, figure 815 is is another one that I want to dive into uh, on our selective podcast on this one. 615 or 815, this is how we're doing our scan plans. Where we're, do we, it has all the different movements and where you have the, the transducer as in, like, are you running the 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 transducer down the weld axis, the the axis of the weld. So basically, you're riding it on the cap or the root of the weld. Um, one thing is, if for the fabricator, if the inspection company needs to do this, you basically need to, at a minimum, flat top that weld. And I would go more for and make sure there's no harsh edges where the the transducer can ride right all over it. You might as well be basically looking at making it flush. So you got different patterns uh, of, of how you move the transducer around. This would be something you would definitely find of some nature of this in your uh, inspection procedure. We'll, we'll do a deeper dive on that one. Gary, is there anything to add on that one? No, it's just giving you a, a guide on how, how you're going to move your transducers and what the, the code's expectations on you know um your search patterns are and it's a good starting point i don't think it's the end all be all but it's a it's a good starting point that you can build on and like you say you're if it was pete's nde corporation you'd probably have something similar to this boiled down and put in your procedure that said okay we're going to do this 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 and this then this would be a good starting point correct yeah it's uh it goes a lot about how you wiggle the the little guy the little transducer rastering um of the transducer uh, figure 816 is where you put the the transducer on the different kind of blocks. If it's on a DS block, a resolution block, or an IIW. And uh, I believe we're at the end of that chapter there, or clause. Yeah, hooray, we're done with uh, clause clause uh, 6 inspection. That was a brutal slog through that one. means we're kind of getting to the tail end of this um AWS D1.1, we've got a couple, three, but we've done most of the heavy lifting through this. So thanks for listening to Clause 6, Inspection. Next, we're going to dive into uh, stud welding in future episodes. So, all right, I'm going to kill it there, Pete. All right. 
All right, that wraps up yet another high-quality, very interesting, wall-to-wall, action-packed episode of the Welding Codex. If you have any questions for Pete and I in regards to welding or material we've covered in this chapter, please feel free to shoot me in an email at gpacex at gmail.com. If you've got any questions you think we got any shot in hell of answering, fire away or leave a comment in the comment section of the podcast. But thanks for listening. Take care. Peace out.